0: Eavesdrop on Experts, a podcast about stories of inspiration and insights. It's where expert types obsess, confess and profess. I'm Chris Hatzis. Let's eavesdrop on experts changing the world. One lecture, one experiment, one interview at a time. The year is 2065. You log into your favourite social media platform, only to be confronted by the ghosts of profiles past. The number of accounts belonging to the deceased has finally surpassed those belonging to the living. It is the time of the digital zombie uprising. Who will maintain this avatar graveyard? Why can't we just let them go? Just when you thought you got a handle on how the digital world is disrupting our lives, now we have to worry about Auntie Pat's online avatar squeezing our cheeks well after she dies. Actually, well after we die. Dr. Martin Gibbs is from the Interaction Design Lab at the School of Computing and Information Systems. Tamara Cohn is an Associate Professor of Anthropology, and Hannah Gould is a Graduate Researcher. Both are from the School of Social and Political Sciences. All are from the University of Melbourne. Tamara, Martin and Hannah are part of an interdisciplinary team working on death, digital media, disruption and new technologies around death and disposal. They sat down for a chat about their work with our reporter, Steve Grimwade.
1: Tammy, your research looks into the anthropology of death and commemoration. Before we fully embrace digital disruption and death itself, are you able to say
2: what norms actually exist around death and commemoration? Are there any? That's a good question. I mean, I think what's interesting is that there's, there's a lot of question around the border of death and, and life, right? So around the world, very different people have very different ways of understanding where that border lies, if it lies there at all. And, and so, um, one of the things that an anthropologist wants to do is to try to understand the different ways people conceive of themselves as as in terms of life and death, and and how they then think of others in their world around life and death. So it's hard to say there's a single way of being around life and death, and it also changes over time. So our our own um, research has sometimes looked, for example, at um, very different technologies through history that have have captured this border and um, and different ways in which people have engaged with that. I've got a feeling in
1: thinking about this a little bit that death is not about the deceased. Death is about the living. It's about
2: the living. Death is
1: about the community that it's... comes around the memory of that person that's passed.
2: Yeah. So, so what's interesting is that the living are constantly trying to find ways of negotiating their relationship with the dead. And sometimes, you know, people just put a lid on it and then, you know, that you go through the terrible grief period and you close the casket and that's the end of, of your engagement, even if you feel sadness for, for a long period after. For others, there's, there are many ways to keep that presence of the dead in people's lives, whether it's having memorabilia around or whether it's engaging in different, um, media. And that's where our research on, on how, for example, social media enlivens the dead in particular ways. And that's so fascinating because it's a somewhat different way to the way the dead have been enlivened in other Um, in other times. Yeah.
1: And Hannah, tell me about your work in Japan. Are there any norms that you find established there around death and dying?
3: Well, I think one of the interesting things, just picking up on what Tammy was saying, is that in Japan at least, the dead are still very much active after they actually pass away. And so I think at least in the West, we often, or in European cultures, we often have this sense, as you said, that we close the casket and that in some ways it's about the living, memorialising, thinking about the dead, remembering But in Japan, you know, historically and today even, the dead have the ability to kind of interact with the living and remain a big presence in people's lives. So I particularly work with how the dead are memorialised at the Buddhist altar in people's homes. And there, the dead can be transformed into Buddhas and into ancestors, and they can actually play an active part in the everyday life of the household. So young children who've done something naughty might be brought in front of the Buddhist altar and said, you know, apologize to your ancestors for what you've done, or um, the ancestors uh, might be made offerings of, of food or even your pay slip if you've just got a new job. You know, here it is, great ancestors or Buddhas or dead, this is what I've done. So I think, you know, as Tammy mentioned, the cultural context is quite important there. Um, in Japan, at least, the dead have always been enlivened in a way that they're becoming through um, digital media and social media in the West. But in in Japan, they've kind of been alive in that way for quite a long time.
1: We will skip ahead to robots and AI shortly. Uh, to sort of smooth that pathway forward, I want to bring Martin in. And Martin, is it possible to get a summary, a high-level view of of the ways in which the digital sphere are disrupting death? What are the starting points? What are the rocks being thrown into the lake?
4: Well, I guess if we wanted to, in, in the West, in, in say, let's say in Australia, uh, if we wanted to go back 10 years, maybe? 15 years. Uh, we see things like PowerPoint presentations coming into uh, the funeral rites, for example, where that would not be have happened before, where it would have been a very traditional church kind of service. But there, there's been this shift over this sort of, I don't know what, say the last 20 years, maybe more towards, rather than kind of committing the soul of the dead person to God, now we celebrate the life that was lived. And that first comes through If we think about, you know, the PowerPoint presentations of, you know, a slideshow of the person's life, maybe their favorite music, the eulogy celebrates their achievements. Uh, So this is a shift that's happened over a a fairly long period of time, over space of decades. And then, so then we also find as we move, as people become more active on social media, obviously they are leaving a huge digital presence, a huge digital footprint that gets left behind when they pass away. But that, Digital presence can become a focal point, I think, as you suggested before, for people to remember, to commemorate, to discuss with each other uh, the deceased person and their lives. And so we saw this, we did some research very early on looking at um, MySpace, a a girl who passed away tragically and the way in which her friends and people who didn't even know her began to uh, gather around her MySpace page and, and discuss her life and try and celebrate her life. Uh, and the kind of person she was. And a lot of the features and a lot of the discussion that occurs on these spaces uh, gives the person or imputes a sort of uh, agency on the person. So there's a lot of discussion in these kind of forums of, oh, now you're an angel up there looking down on us. You know, you're going to this, that and the other around this uh being that's gone to heaven or somewhere up there, and and exists as some sort of angel or some sort of spiritual body that still uh, engages with the living in some ways.
1: Have we just come full cycle from uh, committing people to God, to celebrating life, uh, and now (laughs) going back to committing to God?
4: Uh, A sociologist of death, Tony Walter, in um, the UK looked at um, Jade Goody, who was a UK celebrity, much maligned and much hated by the public for many years, but who then went through a uh harrowing death, I suppose, through cancer, uh, which she blogged about and sort of redeemed herself in the public eye through this process, anyway, he analyzed comments to the son about her death i think I guess it was on her um what 's the word for it her on her obituary, right so comments on her obituary, and he found that people talked talked about her as an angel as an angel in heaven who would look after her children and and could actively engage with the world. And what Tony, who's, you know, a historian, sociologist of religion and death then points out is that this is a very markedly different understanding of the dead in heaven to what exists in Christian theology, which is the dead aren't angels. Angels are not dead people. Angels are are different beings that intermediate between God and the living. So, People don't die and become angels in the tradition. Rather, they go and bask in the glory of God. So so he's shown that there's this sort of shift where the, the, the dead become a bit like in Japan. They become agents that can now actively engage with people.
2: You know, the way, the way I got into this initially is quite relevant here, I think, because um, I think what's interesting is that uh, you have a very different, way of relating to the dead through, through these different technologies that we've been studying. And, um, and things like MySpace or any of these kinds of platforms allow for different publics to participate in those spaces. Very different to what you might have with the more intimate relations around, um, death. And so what happened in, in my case was a Facebook Uh, a day checking out Facebook and coming across, um, my, a friend's birthday announcement. And I sent a message about, uh, my friends to my friend to say happy birthday. Hope you're doing well. And then I saw the other messages from everybody from mothers and partners to, to people I didn't know saying, you know, things like, you know, I can't believe it's been six months. And I found out, of course, that he had died. But what's fascinating is that um, while a person's alive, um, you you know you you can have a, a platform which has a very limited clientele that are just friends and and extended friends and friends of friends, but in some contexts you have huge publics, and they can participate in a way that was never possible before. So even around tragic deaths, you know we just had one here in Melbourne, and of course we've you know had others. We've studied, for example, Jill Mars' death and others where you have um huge outpourings of grief from total strangers but you also have um trolls and people who can do horrible things in those digital spaces and suddenly what you said before about it being less about the dead and more about the living really is fascinating because it shows how um the li- the relationship has changed because the the publics that are engaged have changed around, around these things.
1: I mean, I think you've started on a path I want to go down a little bit. Um, I mean, you've written, Tamara, that the ambition of, of social media giants is no less than to offer individuals social immortality after biological death. Um, what are the, just to, to elucidate more, what are the current opportunities for social media immortality?
2: Well there are so many um sci-fi experiences we all know and and love you know where we we see a show in which a uh, an avatar um that represents the dead has has some action in in life or what's that um that uh black mirror yeah there's a great episode on black mirror where um there's a a an a toy basically that comes alive that is the dead person, but only can, it is programmed by everything that that person did in life. And what's fascinating is that, you know, the possibility for this is here and it's, it's coming. And yet. There's a shortcoming and that's what interests me as an anthropologist is that shortcoming. And, and it's illustrated beautifully in Black Mirror because you get to a point where that character can't do the unexpected, can't be nasty, you know, can't um, react um, in a new way. And so we we come up to a dead end in terms of what that potential is.
1: Social media, we memorialize ourselves daily. The stuff I'm putting on Facebook is not my life. It's the stuff that I want to publish about my life. So therefore, if we're using that as a way of feeding AI or memorials to us, it's a very one-sided view of it. Um, th- is this affecting the messages we're creating after death or the messages that are being created in our, in our honour?
3: I definitely think so. I think a lot of the kind of recent really good work that's been done uh, on social media and presentations of self actually demonstrates that people have Young people in particular have quite sophisticated strategies for self-presentation. So they will have different personas on different platforms. Your Instagram is not going to be the same you that's presented on your Facebook, which is not going to be the same you that's presented on your LinkedIn or your, uh, your professional media. And so in a way, we kind of have a, a distributed or a individual self. We have lots of different people that we all present. And then after death, if we choose to memorialise or keep alive one of those people – it's only going to ever be a tiny portion of your whole self. So if you can imagine if only your Twitter feed was memorialised, and that's how people knew you, which is a quite terrifying thing, I think, for a lot of people, or only your Instagram, which is quite a, um, you know, beautiful, very idealistic presentation of people's selves in a lot of ways. And so very much the kind of um, the affordances of what those platforms let us do and how we choose to present ourselves on each different platform can have huge implications for then how we're memorialised, how we're remembered and understood.
4: And that those different presentations of ourselves across these different social media also raise particular issues about who gets to control what happens to those materials after one passes away. And part, some of the earliest work we did was looking at this real issue of a digital legacy. What is the digital legacy? Uh, what should be done with it? How do we bequeath it to someone? How do we ask someone to be the curator, uh, the executor of the digital will, if you like? Um, and these issues are still still remain. Some social media platforms have addressed these issues reasonably well, but others haven't even really considered them at all. Um, and so, so these, I think, these is this is something that really needs to be thought carefully about um, going into the future. How do we? Who gets to control these legacies, these remnants, these remains, these digital remains?
2: But there are also – there are a lot of businesses out there and, and startups that are trying to manage this big problem, and they all are offering some different version of how to manage that. But what they have to dig down to, which is what you know, Martin's, um began to explain, is all this um, – the entirely different regulations on each of these pr- – Platforms and entirely different legal implications and ethical implications, and to what extent are are um, things divisible, For example, is a really interesting problem. You know, if if um, it, Hannah's work is actually quite relevant here, because in olden days, I guess you would say the the Butsudan, the the. The Japanese ancestral shrine was a single thing in a household, and all the family would gather around and and pay, uh, and and interact with it. And now there there it needs to to manage mobility with lots of kids going to different places and living in very different kinds of spaces.
4: The the other thing that that to go back to a sort of an earlier point is also to do the. Does the dead have a right to privacy? So should my email accounts, my private email accounts, should they then just be passed over to my partner? Maybe I don't want that to happen. Maybe there's stuff. There's not, but maybe there's stuff. <laughs> oh, know, oh, so-
1: hold on, listen, oh, let's open this up. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> but I mean, uh, just as my estate will be left to my kids or whoever it is, I mean, that's, that includes everything in my house, my letters, if I still had letters, and my pictures. Sure. So why should it be different?
3: Well, a lot of the time we, we think about the things that we have online as our possessions as if we own them, but you know, those pesky terms and conditions that mm-hmm. very few people actually read when they click I, I agree, um, it actually turns out that you might not necessarily own all of the media or uh, the emails that you post. So you know, classic recent cases uh, in the US, a court case about whether or not you could inherit someone's iTunes library. Okay if you if you someone had a you know a collection of multiple hundreds of CDs that they'd bought through iTunes okay and wanting to leave that to your children in the same way that you could leave your record collection or your CD collection but if you actually look at those pesky terms and conditions it's not ownership it's you have rented this basically for the time that you're alive and so it can't be passed on so sometimes we assume that things can be passed on and sometimes we assume that we want to have things passed on. I think both of those are problems.
1: Did it surprise you at all uh, that the New South Wales Law Reform Commission was looking into this and, and that these concerns are almost mainstream now? Mm. That surprised me. You're uh, the experts.
4: Well, no. I'd, were we surprised? I'm not sure if we were surprised. I don't surprised. think we were that surprised, actually. No. <laughs> yeah. we, we certainly have been, if you like, calling for um, this sort of action to be taken. And, and I think uh, in the legal Area that there there is a, an awareness of these problems. And there are some big law firms and there are some you know consultants and government agencies now that are, are getting involved and starting to think about these issues.
1: The thing that surprised me is the, the idea that uh, Facebook by the year 2100 will have more dead people on it than alive people. How is that possible?
2: Well, we actually we have a um, there's been a, a lot of um, guesswork around this and. If you know we all know that Facebook is kind of dying now, right, so it's only way out people my age love it, people Hannah's age, not so much right, <laughs> so the idea that you know if it carries on within a relatively short time, we'll have more dead people than we'll have um uh living. it's interesting. There was a study that was done um by someone called hiscock that says if um, the fate of Facebook when the dead will outnumber the living and in one graph it shows that if Facebook stops growing then there'll be a kind of crossover moment at about in about 2065 when the um, dead users will surpass the living but if it keeps growing then um, the crossover won't happen until about 2130 digital, but digital zombies, here they come yeah, yeah. that's right I
4: mean but it, it speaks of an interesting shift in Facebook. It will have to eventually shift its business model from one of um, feeding us news and, and you know, social connection to being a, like Ancestry.com, You know, somewhere where we can go to see what our our grandparents were posting about a hundred years ago. They, they, that would be a hundred years in the future, looking back a hundred years.
1: I understand that Twitter. Or uh, can collect, or someone there's a program that can go into my Twitter feed and actually recreate me in an ongoing manner going forward. Like sort of, you can rec- recreate my voice uh, in in a way. Can you explain that to, to listeners? There,
4: there was a company that had the slogan, "When your heart oh, stops yeah. beating, you'll keep tweeting," which is one of the favourite. Um, yeah. Which is the company's no more. And um, this is one of the interesting things about a lot of these companies that promise services like in perpetuity, you know, we will preserve you forever, is that a lot of them have gone out of business, right, already after a few years. Is, so, Walt, is
1: Walt Disney's brain still on ice or is that yeah. company got out of- <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs>
4: yes. Allegedly, yes. Um, so uh, using, you know, machine learning and predictive text and stuff like that, there are companies are trying to develop services that can, if you like, go through your corpus of tweets mm. uh, and try and work out what your voice is how you might respond to a particular issue and then perhaps offer up uh the ability to tweet beyond your beyond your death and all, there are also services that offer things like um uh, what communication services for to to communicate with your descendants so for example you know the, there are companies that promise to we can, you know, you can write emails that will be sent out in, you know, five years, ten years, or you when can... your
2: grandchild is born, or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Or we li- will on send birthday gift to your, yeah, yeah. Descendants every year or something. But the thing is that these these platforms die, and the promise was made. But what's going to happen? You know, it's kind of iffy. But also, what's I mean, what's so fascinating? We've a lot of our work, uh, or some of our work, has been done with. Um, uh, these huge funeral expos in in the U S, uh, the U K, and here in Australia and in Japan, that are, are places where people with a good idea um, come to try to sell their 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 amazing idea that has to do in with with uh, commemoration, with um, all sorts of things around death and dying, and then you have an industry that's trying to manage people who are in a terrible in you know, a state of, of loss, um, both as carers but also as business people. And and you have um you know, you don't have present there the people who are who need these things, but you have this interesting interaction between those that are are trying to provide for it. And one year we went and we met Carl the robot, who um was walk you know, kind of maneuvering the, the floor of this place and um, going up to you. And there was a face in the um, head, which is basically a Skype image of someone across the world who is who basically can go and attend a funeral without being present, for example. Mm-hmm. But fu- Carl didn't come to the last one because he stopped coming. <laughs> So you have all these changes and you get all excited about it. You go, whoa, think about the potential of being present but not present, but in a different way to being on a screen because you can go and look in the coffin and you can talk to the people you like and shun the people you don't. But suddenly the next year it's not there. So you have um, all this amazing rate of change around this space and people don't really know how to navigate it.
1: The other thing that really surprised me was the idea I mean, I, when reading your stuff was uh, I th- and thinking about AI, because a lot of this was sort of moving towards having dad bot and having sort of recreations of of, of the deceased in some form. And it made me believe in, in Nick Bostrom's philosophical prediction that we're actually living in a computer simulation. I'm going, hold on, if I'm thinking so intently about AI, maybe I am I AI. The interesting
3: thing is about those kind of thought experiments about living in a digital... Simulation is that there's no real way to to find out, so you might as well live your life and live your deaths as you would usually. Um, Yeah, AI and, and death is an interesting area just particularly because people are rapidly trying to create technologies where you can keep the dead alive through social media and Twitter, but as with many kind of scientific or technological discoveries, the question around do people actually want to have those technologies, do people want to have the dead live forever through a Twitter feed? Is somewhat yet to be asked, and so I recently had the opportunity to kind of present all this material to a young group of first-year undergraduates. You know, um, what you know, would you like to give over your information to one of these companies and have them tweet for you after you're dead? And a lot of them were very uncomfortable with it. They weren't interested in remaining alive through their social media after they died. So I think there's always a, you know, this is why we so see so many of these new technologies dying off themselves. For a number of reasons, but one of them is that we're not necessarily sure that that's what we want when people die,
2: and also it um, what there's always been a tension between um, how the the funeral industry and technological innovations will serve as either the person who's facing death. Versus the family and friends and and relations that that, um, have to handle it after death. And those are two very different, often conflicting sometimes, sets of needs, which often is dealt with in the palliative care industry, but not so much um in the in the funeral industry because they they aren't usually talking to the person who's dying they're talking to the people who are handling death so it gets even more complex as one considers uh those potential tensions
1: internet friendships uh belie uh geography our best friend doesn't need to live next door anymore and so i guess is how is that impacting the way that death is commemorated and it is by way of having skype Funerals, uh, but it's also um, in games. Uh, maybe you'd like to talk us through that, Martin.
4: One, one area that we've looked at is what happens when uh, people who play games, online games, regularly together when someone passes away. So if we think about the situation in, in many games, people will join a guild or, or some sort of group and regularly play with each other. So for and, example, and these are thousands
1: and Tens and hundreds of thousands of people playing massive online games. Okay,
4: so it could be so one game we looked at Eve Online that, that is can have a hundred, several hundred thousand concurrent players, um, all sort of in the same virtual world. In other games such as World of Warcraft, which we've also looked at, you have a, a guild structure, which is a, a, an organisation of say twenty-five to thirty players who will regularly in groups of 25 or in groups of 10 will regularly play with each other several nights a week for example to achieve certain goals within the game so if you think about it and these these will be people drawn from around the world or or at least all through the same time zone so these will people maybe people who have never met in person but they meet regularly online so then the question is what happens when someone in that space um passes away how do you How does, how do people who have only ever met online, how do they commemorate each other? Do, is it a legitimate sense of grief that they feel or is it as legitimate as, if you like, their real life or in, in the physical world friends and the grief they might, might face? So these are kinds of issues that have to be negotiated and then, uh, players will often hold memorial services within the game world for someone who's passed away or indeed for, um, a celebrity that might have passed away. So in in the game EVE Online as well, which is a, basically it's a spaceships game, right? So it's a game of people flying spaceships around a, a fictional galaxy. Um, So when Stephen Hawkins passed away recently, a bunch of people got together and did a whole lot of commemorative activities that related both to the game world, so drew elements from the game world, but also drew elements from... Uh, Stephen Hawking's life and his discovery. So they hosted or staged a series of commemorative activities that resonated with his scientific discoveries around black holes and things like that in the spaceship game. Uh, so we find these sorts of activities happening in games.
1: It's, I mean, it's really intriguing. I mean, we've been talking about the way that digital disrupts death, but in a way we're now flipping that and talking about how death disrupts digital. And I remember I heard you talking earlier about um, how the a spa- is a space for play just meant for fun uh and so is a game just meant for fun or should it take on real world concerns um and so i mean there is that great story that i've I've learned from your team that the serenity now guild uh dropping in as about 5 years ago or maybe more uh which was a guild and they they jumped into a, an online funeral i think in world of warcraft and actually killed all the the avatars that were present at that funeral um which but again now it goes to that sense of respect where does how's respect changing uh around death and um and digital i mean there's one instance there's also the instance of selfies on your way to funeral um would anyone like to talk to that
2: well we've we recently actually published a um, a paper um, in a book on on death and leisure, which um, is about the social life of the dead and the leisured life of the living online and one part of it we were looking at selfies at funerals, which is interesting because um you know th- this was a a, a, a sudden um, event on on um, Online, where uh, people had collected these images and displayed them together and there was a huge outpouring of of anger and and um, amazement that people would have the chutzpah to actually take um, photos of themselves in a selfie position kind of grinning or or looking sad, whatever, with a perhaps granny in a casket behind them. You know, this idea of that image just horrified people. And yet we, we were interested in it because, um, when we actually dug deeper and looked at, at the ways in which people presented themselves and the kinds of things that people said around how they presented themselves, we found that actually in a social world where you are constantly present with your social media world. To be at a funeral without that world is, is anathema to being social, to being a person. And people are, in a sense, bringing that social world into their grief, into that event in a way that they would anything else. And so we, we chose to analyze this in a, in a rather different Way. But we also, in looking at the relation between death and leisure, we also looked at another phenomenon which, um, actually is ongoing where people, uh, will use their cell phones to take selfies in really dangerous <laughs> places, very often leisure spaces like, um, cliffs, uh, you know, where they're trying to get the great picture or, uh, or in a car on the way to, a wedding or whatever it might be. And that last photo, which is immediately public, um, becomes their last photo before a death. And, and that also created quite a, a stir, but is, is it, it presents a really interesting set of questions about the way in which we we understand ourselves and the public's imagination around those photos.
1: I mean, it reminds me of death masks, uh, which were acceptable at some at one point in time. But again, 100 years later, they were no longer acceptable again. Um, Hannah, I'd be interested in talking about the way that Japan has broached the divide between digital and death. And I think you've spoken to me earlier about the fact that they have less of a problem bringing those two worlds together.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the relationship between the online worlds and particular things like robots and AI in Japan is, is quite different to how we might engage with them in the West in the sense that, um, you know, ideas about robots, about AI, just seen as less scary, uh, as less kind of uncanny or odd in many ways. And so there has been a number of companies uh, in Japan who are interested in the ways in which either robots can support uh you know, Buddhist funeral ceremonies, or normal Buddhist, or you know, uh, secular uh, ceremonies, but also um, recently, you know, perhaps we need to have funerals for robots. Um, so, when robots die, um, could they also be uh, subject to death rites in the same way that humans are? So, I had a colleague of mine who attended a funeral for the Eyeball robot. So, Eyeball is a, a small dog that was quite popular, I think, in the nineteen nineties, early two thousands. I think there's quite a few photos of like Britney Spears with a pet robot dog. It was kind of a very cool millennial thing to to have. Um, but now they're all old and they've lost you know all their parts and they can't be replaced anymore. So what do we do with them? Well, uh, in Japan, not only people but also things deserve funerals. And so the logical thing to do was to have a funeral for the eyeball dogs, which they all did. And they had a Buddhist priest come in and he gave the sutras um, relating to death and rebirth. And uh, that was another way of... Of extending uh, the funeral rites to a new realm.
1: There are some heartwarming stories about how the digital world has enabled us to interact with our digital selves or others' digital selves. Um, and I'm drawn to two examples. I think it was the Nintendo Car Rally Ghost.
4: <laughs> people attach emotional significance to to objects and also to things like games. So what we've what we've found is that some people. Um, for example, if there's a case of someone whose brother passed away and for for him it was um, a, a kind of a, a a helpful process to revisit one of the games that his brother played so the actual game he was playing and just sit and contemplate where his brother last logged off the game and sit in that game world in that space there was also another example of uh of a man now whose father passed away in his early childhood or passed away, say, 10 years ago. Uh, and for many, you know, and he used to play games a lot with his father, and for many years he wasn't able to re-engage with, with those games because it was too, um, too emotionally charged for him. And then one day he was going through some of the old game files and he found a rally racing game that his father used to race. And in this game, the fastest lap is represented by a ghostly Car so that so that you can know if you're going to do your best time. So you're chasing your best time all the time, and so there was this ghost car in the game that was his father's last or fastest lap of this particular course. And so he then uh, reported that he raced his father for you know many days until he could almost beat his father, but then he didn't. He just stopped short of the and let to preserve that kind of ghost car, that ghostly presence of his father playing a game 10 years ago that he refound on an old uh, Xbox.
1: See, Dad, I'm still letting you in.
4: That's right. <laughs> I'm letting you in.
3: I think, in yep. a way, what all these stories kind of tell us is that we often think about, all oh, death and digital, and that's kind of weird or odd, but people are already engaging in all of these practices today. People are engaging in games and memorialising. People are posting on people's Facebook who have... Who have died, or, or memorialising, and it's not we first hear the subject matter and we think it might be a bit strange, but this is more of descriptive practice of what, of what people are already doing.
4: And, and I think that's what's most interesting in the work we're doing is finding that people are mixing these various conventions of tradition, uh, commonplace ways of doing things with new. Activities, new activities that are meaningful to them, and so this might be on the digital. Uh, and these things are getting mashed up together, and to to develop new rites, new rituals, new ways of grieving, new ways of dealing with, um, you know, the sense of loss when people have passed away.
2: What have you been
1: surprised at most?
2: There have been some wonderful, you know, examples of things that are that we've encountered when we. Went, for example, to these expos, you know, um, and it, in, and some of those, I think for me, have, have led us to the, the next project. So while we did a lot of work with, um, digital, um, technologies around commemoration, we're now moving into looking at, um, new technologies about death and disposal that go beyond burial and cremation and, um, and ways in which we can understand, uh, the relationship between, um, uh, bodies and, and, uh, persons and things in that space. So, um, at one of them, I, I remember first encountering a company that Takes uh, the metal um, bits inside bodies. I know I have a few of them myself from various surgeries in the past, and the and recycles them in a particular in particular ways. And um, and then there are new technologies for how to actually um, dispose of a of a body in an eco, you know in an ecologically sound way. There are green burials, different ways in which people are and and. These technologies are embraced at different times in different ways in different places. So the UK is ahead of Australia in a lot of this stuff, for example. And we were looking at that and trying to work with, um, to try to understand how Australia um, also might benefit from understanding more about these processes. So I guess I wasn't surprised so much as it's I'm excited. <laughs> it's like you know you get excited by the next the next project, and that's where we're our heads are at at the moment.
3: I'm always surprised, not surprised, but um interested in the enduring importance of the body in death. I mean, we discuss the digital and and you know Facebook and Twitter and all these things, and it's not that they're not important but they're being combined in different ways that always very frequently come back to the materiality of bones and corpses and and how do we deal with them and how do we commemorate them. Um, And that might mean digital, new forms of digital, offline, online hybrids in the ways that we look at things and take care of the dead. But at the same time, you know, ash and bones and and corpses and how people still react to them in quite... um, you know, intrinsically respectful or not respectful ways around them, the actual body.
1: Martin, is there anything you're surprised at?
4: Uh, <laughs> um, okay, not digital, but picking up on Hannah's point. At, at an expo in the US, there was a, a company offering a kind of taxidermy service for the deceased where they would preserve tattoos. So it was a service where they would, could cut the skin off and preserve the tattoo and frame it so that you, people could have a memento of the person after they'd passed away. I found that quite surprising, I must admit. Um, but, hey, I don't know. Maybe that's important to some people.
3: I mean, you should see what's going on at some of those Japan funeral expos. I've been to a, a corpse dressing competition um, wow. Which is quite interesting. So, if anyone's ever fancy watch- dress, or does- well, no. If anyone's ever watched uh, the Academy Award-winning film *Departures*, uh, which is a Japanese film of um, this practice of um, *nokanshi* or *nokan*, which means to dress the, the body of the deceased, and often this dressing actually occurs in front of the family, so it's a public dressing. So, um usually, you know, the body is washed, and new clothes are put onto it. It could be a suit, or it could be a traditional kimono. And um, what's quite interesting is this really wasn't a tradition until that uh, movie came out. And suddenly it kind of became a reclaimed tradition. Oh, this is the way that we were supposed to be doing it all along. And so at these Japanese uh, funeral expos, they now have corpse dressing competitions to who can who can do the most respectful dressing of the corpse in front of the audience. Um, they don't actually use corpses. They use volunteers from the audience. And so you can go up and you have someone completely undress you and put new clothes on you. And the whole skill of it is that you can respectfully redress the corpse without showing any flesh to the audience. And so these expos are often kind of fascinating, interesting uh, chemistry labs of new ideas and boundary-pushing ideas about what we should do with the dead and their remains.
1: You spoke earlier about returning to the body, the physical body. Um and that will always remain for you but uh, do you believe that there'll be anything that will be irretrievably lost to death because of digital
4: what do what you mean by lost
1: well I mean I mean if we're celebrating death in a completely different manner will we will we cease to to celebrate death or commemorate death in the way we do now
2: we aren't we aren't losing i i don't I think that all of the things that we associate it's a, this idea of being a person in the world is to have relations with others and to have feelings about, it doesn't mean that we all always grieve in the same way. Anthropologists have long studied very different ways in which people understand their relations. For example, uh, classic ethnography in Brazil um, in a shanty town by Nancy Shepherd Hughes was all about death without weeping because young children would die very young, very often. And so mothers wouldn't invest that personhood into the child until a certain point, so that you know you don't start grieving till later. But all in all, we all have relations and we all grieve, and we all have rituals that we, Establish around that which may shift and change, but they're there nonetheless. So, in a way, it's a fine tuning. There's always been change. There's been change throughout throughout history, and yet there is a sense of of tremendous speed around the digital, around new technologies now, um, and and capturing that that sense of what's going on is is what we're we're particularly interested in in doing.
1: Tamara, Hannah, Martin, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks to Associate Professor Dr Martin Gibbs from the School of Computing and Information Systems, Associate Professor Dr Tamara Cohn, and Graduate Researcher Hannah Gould, both from the School of Social and Political Sciences, all from the University of Melbourne. And thanks to our reporter Steve Grimwade. Eavesdrop on Experts, Stories of Inspiration and Insights was made possible by the University of Melbourne. This episode was recorded on June 20, 2018 you'll find a full transcript on the Pursuit website. Audio engineering by me, Chris Hatzis. Co-production, Dr. Andy Horvath and Sylvie Van Wall. Eavesdrop on Experts is licensed under Creative Commons, copyright 2018, the University of Melbourne. If you enjoyed this podcast, drop us a review on iTunes and check out the rest of the Eavesdrop episodes in our archive. I'm Chris Hatzis, producer and editor. Join us again next time for another Eavesdrop on Experts.